Section five of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. Chapter one, part five. Religion of Costermongers. An intelligent and trustworthy man, until very recently actively engaged in costermongering, computed that not three in one hundred costermongers had ever been in the interior of a church or any place of worship, or knew what was meant by Christianity. The same person gave me the following account, which was confirmed by others. The Costas have no religion at all, and very little notion, or none at all, of what religion or a future state is. Of all things they hate tracts. They hate them because the people leaving them never give them anything, and as they can't read the tract, not one in forty, they're vexed to be bothered with it and really what is the use of giving people reading before you've taught them to read now they respect the city missionaries because they read to them and the costers will listen to reading when they don't understand it and because they visit the sick and sometimes give oranges and such like to them and the children i've known a city missionary buy a shilling's worth of oranges of a coster and give them away to the sick and the children most of them belonging to the costermongers down the court and that made him respected there I think the city missionaries have done good. But I'm satisfied that if the Costas had to profess themselves of some religion tomorrow, they would all become Roman Catholics, every one of them. This is the reason London Costas live very often in the same courts and streets as the poor Irish, and if the Irish are sick, be sure there comes to them the priest, the sisters of charity, they are good women, and some other ladies. Many a man that's not a Catholic has rotted and died without any good person near him. Why, I lived a good while in Lambeth, and there wasn't one coster in a hundred, I'm satisfied, knew so much as the rector's name, though Mr. Dalton's a very good man. But the reason I was telling you of, sir, is that the costers reckon that religion's the best that gives the most in charity, and they think the Catholics do this. I'm not a Catholic myself, but I believe every word of the Bible, and have the greater belief that it's the word of God, because it teaches democracy. The Irish in the courts get sadly chaffed by the others about their priests, but they'll die for the priest. Religion is a regular puzzle to the costers. They see people come out of church and chapel, and as they're mostly well-dressed, and there's very few of their own sort among the churchgoers, the costers somehow mix up being religious with being respectable and so they have a queer sort of feeling about it. It's a mystery to them. It's shocking when you come to think of it. They'll listen to any preacher that goes among them, and then a few will say, I've heard it often, a B blank Y. Fool, why don't you let people go to H blank L their own way? There's another thing that makes the costers think so well of the Catholics. If a Catholic coster, there's only very few of them, is cracked up, note, penniless, end note, He's often started again, and the others have a notion that it's through some chapel fund. I don't know whether it is so or not, but I know the cracked-up men are started again if they're Catholics. It's still the stranger that the regular costermongers, who are nearly all Londoners, should have such respect for the Roman Catholics, when they have such a hatred of the Irish, whom they look upon as intruders and underminers. If a missionary came among us with plenty of money, said another costermonger he might make us all christians or turks or anything he liked neither the latter-day saints nor any similar sect have made converts among the costermongers 
of the uneducated state of costermongers. I have stated elsewhere that only about one in ten of the regular costermongers is able to read. The want of education among both men and women is deplorable, and I tested it in several instances. The following statement, however, from one of the body, is no more to be taken as representing the ignorance of the class generally than are the clear and discriminating accounts I received from intelligent costermongers to be taken as representing the intelligence of the body. The man with whom I conversed and from whom I received the following statement seemed about thirty. He was certainly not ill-looking, but with a heavy cast of countenance, his light blue eyes having little expression. His statements or opinions, I need hardly explain, were given both spontaneously in the course of conversation and in answer to my questions. I give them almost verbatim, omitting oaths and slang. "'Well, times is bad, sir,' he said, "'but it's a deadish time. I don't do so well at present as in middleish times, I think. When I served the Prince of Naples, not far from here—note, I presume that he alluded to the Prince of Capua—I did better, and times was better.' That was five years ago, but I can't say to a year or two. He was a good customer, and was very fond of peaches. I used to sell them to him at twelve shillings the plasket, when they was new. The plasket held a dozen, and cost me six shillings at Covent Garden, more sometimes, but I didn't charge him more when they did. His footman was a black man, and an ignorant man quite, and his housekeeper was an Englishwoman. He was the Prince of Naples was my customer, but I don't know what he was like, for I never saw him. I've heard that he was the brother of the King of Naples. I can't say where Naples is, but if you was to ask at Euston Square, they'll tell you the fare there, and the time to go it in. It may be in France for anything I know, may Naples, or in Ireland. Why don't you ask at the square? I went to Croydon once, by rail, and slept all the way without stirring. And so you may to Naples for anything I know. I never heard of the Pope being a neighbour of the King of Naples. Do you mean living next door to him? but I don't know nothing of the King of Naples, only the Prince. I don't know what the Pope is. Is he any trade? It's nothing to me, when he's no customer of mine. I have nothing to say about nobody that ain't no customers. My crabs is caught in the sea, in course. I gets them at Billingsgate. I never saw the sea, but it's salt water, I know. I can't say whereabouts it lays. I believe it's in the hands of the Billingsgate salesman. All of it. I've heard of shipwrecks at sea, caused by drowning, in course. I never heard that the Prince of Naples was ever at sea. I like to talk about him. He was such a customer when he lived near here. Note. Here he repeated his account of the supply of peaches to His Royal Highness. End note. I never was in France, no, sir, never. I don't know the way. Do you think I could do better there? I never was in the Republic there. What's it like? Bonaparte? Oh, yes, I've heard of him. He was at Waterloo. I didn't know he'd been alive now, and in France, as you ask me about him. I don't think you're larking, sir. Did I hear of the French taking possession of Naples, and Bonaparte making his brother-in-law king? Well, I didn't, but it may be true, because I served the Prince of Naples, what was the brother of the king. I never heard whether the Prince was the king's older brother or his younger. I wish he may turn out his older, if there's property coming to him, as the oldest has the first turn, at least so I've heard. First come, first served. I've worked the streets and the courts at all times. I've worked them by moonlight, but you couldn't see the moonlight where it was busy. I can't say how far the moon's off us. 
It's nothing to me, but I've seen it a good bit higher than St. Paul's. I don't know nothing about the sun. Why do you ask? It must be nearer than the moon, for it's warmer, and if they're both fire, that shows it. It's like the taproom grate and that bit of a gaslight. To compare the two is... What was St. Paul's that the moon was above? A church, sir, so I've heard. I never was in a church. Oh, yes, I've heard of God. He made heaven and earth. I never heard of his making the sea. That's another thing, and you can best learn about that at Billingsgate. Note. He seemed to think that the sea was an appurtenance of Billingsgate. End note. Jesus Christ? Yes, I've heard of him. Our Redeemer? Well, I only wish I could redeem my Sunday togs from my uncle's. Another costermonger, in answer to inquiries, said, I suppose you think us original coves that you ask? We're not like Methuselah or some such swell's name. Note. I presume that Malthus was meant. Note. As wanted to murder children afore they was born, as I once heard lectured about, we're nothing like that. Another, on being questioned, and on being told that the information was wanted for the press, replied, The press? I'll have nothing to say to it. We're oppressed enough already. That a class numbering 30,000 should be permitted to remain in a state of almost brutish ignorance is a national disgrace. If the London costers belong especially to the dangerous classes, the danger of such a body is assuredly an evil of our own creation, for the gratitude of the poor creatures to anyone who seeks to give them the least knowledge is almost pathetic. Language of Costermongers The slang language of the Costermongers is not very remarkable for originality of construction. It possesses no humour, but they boast that it is known only to themselves. It is far beyond the Irish, they say, and puzzles the Jews. The root of the Costermonger tongue, so to speak, is to give the words spelt backwards, or rather pronounced rudely backward, for in my present chapter the language has, I believe, been reduced to orthography for the first time. With this backward pronunciation, which is very arbitrary, are mixed words reducible to no rule and seldom referable to any origin, thus complicating the mystery of this unwritten tongue, while any syllable is added to a proper slang word at the discretion of the speaker. Slang is acquired very rapidly, and some costermongers will converse in it by the hour. The women use it sparingly the girls more than the women, the men more than the girls, and the boys most of all. The most ignorant of all these classes deal most in slang, and boast of their cleverness and proficiency in it. In their conversations among themselves, the following are invariably the terms used in money matters. A rude backspelling may generally be traced. Flatch, halfpenny. Yenep, penny. Outyenep, tuppence. Earthyenep, threepence, Ralph Yenep, fourpence, Ewif Yenep, fivepence, Exis Yenep, sixpence, Neves Yenep, sevenpence, Th Yenep, eightpence, Enine Yenep, ninepence, Net Yenep, tenpence, Leven, elevenpence, Gen, twelvepence, Yenep Flatch, three halfpence, and so on through the penny halfpennies. It was explained to me by a costermonger who had introduced some new words into the slang that leaven was allowed so closely to resemble the proper word because elevenpence was almost an unknown sum to costermongers, the transition, weights and measures notwithstanding, being immediate from tenpence to one shilling. 
gen is a shilling and the numismatic sequence is pursued with the gens as regards shillings as with the yeneps as regards pence the blending of the two is also according to the same system as algen genep two and eightpence the exception to the uniformity of the gen enumeration is in the sum of eight shillings which instead of th gen is th guy a derivation with ample precedence in all civilized tongues as regards the larger coins the translation into slang is not reducible into rule the following are the costermonger coins of the higher value cowter sovereign half cowter or net gen half sovereign ewif gen crown platginork half crown the costermongers still further complicate their slang by a mode of multiplication. They thus say, Earth Ewif Gens, or three times five shillings, which means, of course, fifteen shillings. Speaking of this language, a costermonger said to me, The Irish can't tumble to it anyhow. The Jews can tumble better, but we're their masters. Some of the young salesmen at Billingsgate understand us, but only at Billingsgate, and they think they're uncommon clever, but they're not quite up to the mark. The police don't understand us at all. It would be a pity if they did. I give a few more phrases. A dugheno or dabheno? Is it a good or bad market? A regular traseno, a regular bad one. On, no. Say, yes. Tumble to your barrackin, understand you. Top a reeb, pot of beer. Doing dab, doing badly. Cool him, look at him. The latter phrase is used when one costermonger warns another of the approach of a policeman, who might order him to move on or be otherwise unpleasant. Cool, note, look, end note, is exclaimed, or call him, note, look at him, end note. One costermonger told me as a great joke that a very stout policeman, who was then new to the duty, was, when in a violent state of perspiration, much offended by a costermonger saying, call him. Call the esclop, look at the police. Call the namisglop, look at the policeman. Call to the dillo nemo, look at the old woman. Said of any woman, young or old, who, according to costermonger notions, is giving herself airs. This language seems confined in its general use to the immediate objects of the costermonger's care, but is among the more acute members of the fraternity greatly extended and is capable of indefinite extension. The costermonger's oaths, I may conclude, are all in the vernacular, nor are any of the common salutes, such as how do you do or good night, known to their slang. Kenetsino, stinking, note, applied principally to the quality of fish, end note. Flatch cannard, half drunk. Finch it, show it, in cases of bargains offered. On doog, no good. Cross chap, a thief. Shofuls, bad money. Note, seldom in the hands of costermongers. End note. I'm on to the deb. I'm going to bed. Do the tightener. Go to dinner. Nomus, be off. Toll, lot, stock or share. Many costermongers, but principally, perhaps entirely, I was told, those who had not been regular born and bred to the trade, but had taken to it when cracked up in their own, do not trouble themselves to acquire any knowledge of slang. It is not indispensable for the carrying on of their business. The grand object, however, seems to be to shield their bargainings at market 
or their conversation among themselves touching the day's work and profits from the knowledge of any irish or uninitiated fellow traders the simple principle of costermonger slang that of pronouncing backward may cause its acquirement to be regarded by the educated as a matter of ease but it is a curious fact that lads who become costermongers boys without previous association with the class acquire a very ready command of the language and this though they are not only unable to spell but don't know a letter in a book i saw one lad whose parents had until five or six months back resided in the country the lad himself was fourteen he told me that he had not been a costermongering more than three months and prided himself on his mastery over slang to test his ability i asked him the coster's word for hippopotamus he answered with tolerable readiness Masatop-pop. i then asked him for the like rendering of equestrian note one of astley's bills having caught my eye End note. he replied but not quite so readily Nietzsche. the last test to which i subjected him was good-naturedly and though i induced him to repeat the word twice i could not on any of the three renderings distinguish any precise sound beyond an indistinct gabbling concluded emphatically with doog good being a word with which all these traders are familiar it must be remembered that the words i demanded were remote from the young costermonger's vocabulary if not from his understanding before i left this boy he poured forth a minute or more's gibberish of which from its rapid utterance i could distinguish nothing but i found from his after explanation that it was a request to me to make a further purchase of his walnuts this slang is utterly devoid of any applicability to humour it gives no new fact or approach to a fact for philologists one superior genius among the costers who has invented words for them told me that he had no system for coining his term he gave to the known words some terminating syllable or as he called it a new turn just to use his own words as if he chorused them with a toldy roll the intelligence communicated in this slang is in a great measure communicated as in other slang as much by the inflection of the voice the emphasis the tone the look the shrug the nod the wink as by the words spoken of the nicknames of costermongers like many rude and almost all wandering communities the costermongers like the cabmen and pickpockets are hardly ever known by their real names even the honest men among them are distinguished by some strange appellation indeed they are all known one to another by nicknames which they acquire either by some mode of dress some remark that has ensured costermonger applause some peculiarity in trading or some defect or singularity in personal appearance men are known as rotten herrings spuddy note a seller of bad potatoes until beaten by the irish for his bad wares End note. curly note a man with a curly head End note. foreigner note a man who had been in the spanish legion End note brassy note a very saucy person End note gaffy note once a performer End note the one-eyed buffer jawbreaker pineapple jack cast-iron pole note her head having been struck with a pot without injury to her End note. wilkie 
black-walled pole, note, a woman generally having two black eyes, and note, lushy bed, dirty cell, note, the costermongers generally objecting to dirty women, end note, and dancing sue. Of the education of costermonger children, I have used the heading of education, but perhaps to say non-education would be more suitable. Very few indeed of the costermongers' children are sent even to the ragged schools, and if they are, from all I could learn, it is done more that the mother may be saved the trouble of tending them at home than from any desire that the children shall acquire useful knowledge. Both boys and girls are sent out by their parents in the evening to sell nuts, oranges, and so on, at the doors of the theatres, or in any public place, or round the houses. Note, a stated circuit from their place of abode. End note. This trade they pursue eagerly for the sake of bunts, though some carry home the money they take very honestly. The costermongers are kind to their children, perhaps in a rough way, and the women make regular pets of them very often. One experienced man told me that he had seen a poor costermonger's wife, one of the few who could read, instructing her children in reading, but such instances were very rare. The education of these children is such only as the streets afford, and the streets teach them for the most part, and in greater or lesser degree, acuteness, a precocious acuteness, in all that concerns their immediate wants, business, or gratifications, a patient endurance of cold and hunger, a desire to obtain money without working for it, a craving for the excitement of gambling, an inordinate love of amusement, and an irrepressible repugnance to any settled indoor industry. The Literature of Costermongers we have now had an inkling of the London costermonger's notions upon politics and religion. We have seen the brutified state in which he is allowed by society to remain, though possessing the same faculties and susceptibilities as ourselves, the same power to perceive and admire the forms of truth, beauty, and goodness as even the very highest in the state. We have witnessed how, instinct with all the elements of manhood and beasthood, the qualities of the beast are principally developed in him, while those of the man are stunted in their growth. It now remains for us to look into some other matters concerning this curious class of people, and first of their literature. It may appear anomalous to speak of the literature of an uneducated body, but even the costermongers have their tastes for books. They are very fond of hearing anyone read aloud to them, and listen very attentively. One man often reads the Sunday paper of the beer-shop to them, and on a fine summer's evening a costermonger, or any neighbour who has the advantage of being a scholard, reads aloud to them in the courts they inhabit. What they love best to listen to, and indeed what they are most eager for, are Reynolds' periodicals, especially the Mysteries of the Court. They've got tired of Lloyd's bloodstain stories said one man, who was in the habit of reading to them, and I'm satisfied that of all the London, Reynolds is the most popular man among them. They stuck to him in Trafalgar Square, and would again. They all say he's a trump, and Fergus O'Connor's another trump with them. One intelligent man considered that the spirit of curiosity manifested by costermongers, 
as regards the information or excitement derived from hearing stories read, augured well for the improvability of the class. Another intelligent costermonger, who had recently read some of the cheap periodicals to ten or twelve men, women, and boys, all costermongers, gave me an account of the comments made by his auditors. They had assembled after their day's work or their rounds, for the purpose of hearing my informant read the last number of some of the penny publications. "'The costermongers,' said my informant, "'are very fond of illustrations. I've known a man who couldn't read by a periodical what had an illustration, a little out of the common way, perhaps, just that he might learn from someone who could read what it was all about.' They've all heard of Crookshank, and they think everything funny is by him, funny scenes in a play and all. His bottle was very much admired. I heard one man say it was very prime, and showed what Lush did. But I saw the same man, added my informant, drunk three hours afterwards. Look you here, sir, he continued, turning over a periodical, for he had the number with him. Here's a portrait of Catherine of Russia. Tell us all about her, said one man to me last night read it. What was she? When I had read it, my informant continued, another man to whom I showed it said, don't the covers did that know a deal? For they fancy, at least a many do, that one man writes a whole periodical or a whole newspaper. Now here, proceeded my friend, you see an engraving of a man hung up, burning over a fire, and some costers would go mad if they couldn't learn what he'd been doing, who he was, and all about him. But about the picture, they would say, and this is a very common question put by them whenever they see an engraving. Here's one of the passages that took their fancy wonderfully, my informant observed. With glowing cheeks, flashing eyes, and palpitating bosom, Venetia Trelawney rushed back into the refreshment room, where she threw herself into one of the armchairs already noticed. But scarcely had she thus sunk down upon the flocculent cushion when a sharp click as of some mechanism giving way, met her ears, and at the same instant her wrists were caught in manacles, which sprang out of the arms of the treacherous chair, while two steel bands started from the richly carved back, and grasped her shoulders. A shriek burst from her lips. She struggled violently, but all to no purpose, for she was a captive, and powerless. We should observe that the manacles and the steel bands which had thus fastened upon her were covered with velvet so that they inflicted no positive injury upon her, nor even produced the slightest abrasion of her fair and polished skin. "'Here all my audience,' said the man to me, "'broke out with, "'Aye, that's the way the aristocrats hooks it. "'There's nothing of that sort among us. "'The rich has all that barracking to themselves. "'Yes, that's the B-blank way the taxes goes in,' shouted a woman. "'Anything about the police sets them a-talking at once.' This did when I read it. The Ebenezers still continued their fierce struggle, and from the noise they made seemed as if they were tearing each other to pieces. To the wild roar of a chorus of profane swearing, the alarm, as Bloomfield had predicted, was soon raised, and some two or three policemen with their bull's-eyes and still more effective truncheons speedily restored order. "'The blessed crushers is everywhere!' shouted one. "'I wish I'd been there to have a shy at the Eslops.' said another, and then a man sung out, Oh, don't I like the bobbies! If there's any foreign language which can't be explained, I've seen the costers, my informant went on, annoyed at it, quite annoyed. Another time 
I read part of one of Lloyd's numbers to them, but they like something spicier. One article in them, here it is, finishes in this way. The social habits and costumes of the Magyar noblesse have almost all the characteristics of the corresponding class in Ireland. This word noblesse is one of wide signification in Hungary, and one may with great truth say of this strange nation that qui n'est point noble n'est rien. I can't tumble to that barricin, said a young fellow. It's a jawbreaker. But if this here, what do you call it, you talk about, was like the Irish, why, they was a rum lot. Noblesse, said a man that's considered a clever fellow, from having once learned his letters, though he can't read or write. Noblesse? Blessed if I know what he's up to. Here there was a regular laugh. From other quarters I learned that some of the costermongers who were able to read, or loved to listen to reading, purchased their literature in a very commercial spirit, frequently buying the periodical which is the largest in size, because when they got the reading out of it, as they say, it's worth a halfpenny for the barrow. Tracts they will rarely listen to, but if any persevering man will read tracts, and states that he does it for their benefit and improvement, they listen without rudeness, though often with evident unwillingness. Sermons or tracts, said one of their body to me, gives them the horrors. Costermongers purchase, and not unfrequently, the first number of a penny periodical to see what it's like. The tales of robbery and bloodshed, of heroic, eloquent, and gentlemanly highwaymen, or of gypsies turning out to be nobles, now interest the costermongers but little, although they found great delight in such stories a few years back. Works relating to courts, potentates, or aristocrats are the most relished by these rude people. Of the Honesty of Costermongers I heard on all hands that the costers never steal from one another, and never wink at anyone stealing from a neighbouring stall. Any stallkeeper will leave his stall untended to get his dinner, his neighbour acting for him. Sometimes he will leave it to enjoy a game at Skittles. It was computed for me that property worth ten thousand pounds belonging to costers is daily left exposed in the streets or at the markets, almost entirely unwatched the policeman or market-keeper only passing at intervals, and yet thefts are rarely heard of, and when heard of, are not attributable to costermongers, but to regular thieves. The way in which the sum of ten thousand pounds was arrived at is this. In Hooper Street, Lambeth, said my informant, there are thirty barrows and carts exposed on an evening, left in the street with nobody to see them, left there all night. That is only one street. Each barrow and board would be worth, on the average, two pound five shillings, and that would be sixty-seven pounds ten shillings. In the other by-streets and courts off the new cut are six times as many, Hooper Street having the most. This would give four hundred and five pounds in all, left unwatched of a night. There are, throughout London, twelve more districts besides the new cut, at least twelve districts, and calculating the same amount in these, we have altogether four thousand eight hundred and sixty pounds worth of barrows taking in other by-streets we may safely reckon it at four thousand barrows for the numbers i've given in the thirteen places are two thousand five hundred and twenty and one thousand four hundred and eighty added is moderate at least half of those which are in use next day are left unwatched 
more i have no doubt but say half the stock of these two thousand will average ten shillings each or one thousand pounds and the barrows will be worth four thousand five hundred pounds in all five thousand five hundred pounds and the property exposed on the stalls and the markets will be double in amount or eleven thousand pounds in value every day but say ten thousand besides sir i was told the thieves won't rob the costers so often as they will the shopkeepers it's easier to steal from a butcher's or bacon seller's open window than from a costermonger's stall or barrow because the shopkeeper's eye can't be always on his goods but there's always someone to give an eye to a coster's property at billingsgate the thieves will rob the salesmen far readier than they will us they know we'd take it out of them readier if they were caught it's lynch law with us we never give them in charge the costermongers boys will i am informed cheat their employers but they do not steal from them the costers donkey stables have seldom either lock or latch and sometimes oysters and other things which the donkey will not molest are left there but are never stolen End of section 5